Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly show where we talk about a comic or graphic novel of our choice. I am your host, Anne. I'm Alexis. And I'm Dallas. Boom. And all three of us together picked an amazing book this week. It was amazing because I picked it and I can never pick a bad book. No, the Legion of Superheroes book did not happen this year. We are not going to talk about it. We're just going to keep moving. We read for this week the first 12 issues and a little a little change. Your mileage may vary depending on which co-host you're talking about of Marvel's Thunderbolts by Kurt Busiek and Mark Bagley. We are reading the original 90s run that changed comics forever. Well, it didn't really change comics forever, but it was it was big. It was Everyone talked about it. It was it was huge, biggest twist of all time, in in my opinion. Um, forget Rosebud, forget um, Bruce Willis seeing dead people, forget Vader as Luke's dad. This is this is it. This is the big one. Um, shook me to my core. I um, <laughs> I I really want to go over what the what the story is about, and then immediately jump straight into Lexi's. Um, reaction because i believe lexi is the only one who didn't know the twist going into this it got me so good okay okay (laughs) hold on to that thought hold on okay Okay. for anyone listening and if you're like tuning in because you've heard about marvel making a thunderbolts movie you've heard about the series occasionally before and you're like oh isn't that just marvel's like suicide squad isn't that isn't that the vibe we're going for hold on to that thought um know that it's wrong and go check out this run and read at least the first issue before you dive back into this episode with us. Because it is a twist that once you hear it, you cannot get that experience back again. Um, it is it is something truly special. And you have three, two, one. Okay, your choice has been made. So Thunderbolts is about this team of quote-unquote heroes who arrive in the aftermath of this great death of the justice league i mean death of the avengers event to take the place of earth's mightiest heroes and they're really beloved by the public and it's all great only catches they're actually the masters of evil and um they're here to take over the world they they got they got you they got i actually want to read kurt Busick tweeted out um it was the series pitch that he sold the fastest, and his pitch was just all of Marvel's most reassuring heroes vanished in onslaught, and the public is scared. So when a new team arises, people are relieved and grateful, but they're really the masters of evil in disguise, and they're out to take over the world. It is the most simple pitch for the series. It is the most simple summary of the series, and it is it is just really incredible the depths we get to go to in terms of character here and just the fun little corners of the Marvel universe we get to to see fleshed out. So with that being said, Lexi, first time reading through it, first time with the the twist, tell us about that. Talk to us a little bit about that experience. Okay, first of all, I feel like a broken record. I may be the only person in history that can still be bamboozled by comics that came out in the 90s. They're older than me. These books are older than I am. But that hurts. Didn't know. Surprised. Very fun. They even have a movie coming out, and I didn't know that. I don't know how this slipped me. This one really just went over my head. But when I tell you, it was so good. <laughs> when I got to that last page <laughs> of the first issue, I said, Baron Zemo, I know you. And his goofy ass little purple onesie that he wears with the fur trim. I said, mm-hmm. hmm, 
He is a mm. raging LGBTQ. We don't claim him. He can we stand don't, his- but he got a little flair. He got a little flair. This whole, this whole book said, listen, every villain is queer coded and we're going to work it. We're going to work it. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. Very flamboyant in the best way. It's amazing you get that one book that the 90s is like, we're actually going to do justice to some people yeah. instead of hate crimes. This also, is the, this was the, the women, one. Right? Let the women do the work. <laughs> the best. <laughs> oh, so fun. This one was really fun. This one had a lot of fun characters that I've I've never been exposed to before, not even as their villains, except for Zemo, obviously, but he's in the movies now, so... But no, it was very fun. It was a very good pick, Anne. I had a very good time. Thanks. I'm glad. And I'm glad that the twist hadn't been spoiled for you yet. That's exactly the reaction I was hoping for. And I'm glad that it was it was still good enough to to like register, even though Zemo was like the only one you were really familiar with beforehand. So yeah. I was definitely str- But there's like no way that I could have prepped you for that without giving away the, the <laughs> twist. I couldn't have been like, hey, you ever you ever heard of moonstone just just asking don't google it but have you yeah it's exactly not, it's not related to sunstone but she is also different. one of my favorites um thanks that that's awesome dallas this is your first time reading it you knew the twist going in though right yes i knew the twist i had read issue one because it was in my 75th anniversary marvel omnibus mm. it was counted as one of the best marvel comics of all time in that omnibus collection. So I had read just that first issue and I was like, wow, that was a great issue and never continued on with it. Cause the rest of it wasn't in that book, but you picking this for the show made me finally pull this omnibus off my shelf that I got a little while ago. And I have been so sucked into this. So for the episode, we read issues one through 12, which I think is a great chunk to talk about. It's kind of the main story. Mm-hmm. But I was so in love with these characters that I have just continued reading. And I've never done this for the show before. I've always been like, that was nice. Time to go back to whatever I was doing because I'm a reading narcissist. And whatever I was doing before this is much more important than whatever we're doing here. I've done my homework back to the fun stuff. And this time the homework was so good that I have continued reading the homework and it only gets better. It's so, so good. They don't make comics like this anymore. And by that, I mean, they don't give 30 issue runways to nothing characters that can become something so great because the story can go slow. You can have Alexis didn't really get to this part, but you can have like a 10 issue stint where Melissa is just being a jerkwad for no reason. And it just doesn't explain it. It doesn't explain it. It doesn't explain it. And then when it finally explains it, you're like, oh, girl, what? I didn't even know. I'm so sorry I've been grumpy at you. And that's the reaction of all the characters. It's like, we're so sorry we were being so mean to you about this. And I felt that too, because I had been frustrated at her for 10 issues. I'm like, girl, get your act together. And I knew no one but Zemo at the beginning of this. And now all of these are my glup shittos. Like everywhere that they show up, I will be like, oh, my sweet baby darlings. Hello. <gasps> Hello, little one. I well, that's all. I actually I kind of knew Songbird because she shows up in Avengers Forever by Busiek over that 12 issue story, which rules one of the best Kang stories ever. Lex, 
there is a story where Songbird is on a team of time-traveling Avengers that fight Kang. So she gets plucked. It's a future Songbird that we don't know yet from, like, way in the future. And she gets teamed up with, like, Ant-Man and the Wasp from the original Avengers team. Captain America from right after he fell out of love with America. They, like, pick all the characters from the most interesting time period. And Songbird is on that team that fights Kang. It's super fun. So I knew her as well. And I was just, I was in love with this, Anne. Thank you so much for making me read this. I have been devastated to learn this year that there are actually a lot of really good comics that came out in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And the whole, it's a whole bad decade thing is kind of a misnomer because they have some heat. It's sort of the last era where comics were just comics and comics weren't an IP farm, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Like they could take a risk like Thunderbolts. It's it's so funny you mentioned that because this comic was basically born <laughs> in the aftermath of just that that wave of 90s badness. What this follows up on is the idea of the Heroes Reborn relaunch that Marvel tried. In the 90s, um, there was the the comic, this the speculator boom that almost destroyed the comics market completely. And Marvel was on the verge of going bankrupt and they were trying by any means necessary not to do that. And so one of the things they wanted to try was they're like, hey, DC's done this thing before where they've like rebooted their history a couple times to spike sales and it kind of works. So let's try that with some of our heroes who aren't selling. So basically anyone who isn't Spider-Man or X-Men. And so they pulled a death of the Justice League and they're like, we're going to have all these guys, quote unquote, die fighting this one big bad and they're going to go away and we're going to just... They're going to be out of the public eye for like maybe a month or two. Then we're going to bring them back, rebooted. We're going to pull some bullshit where they got sucked into an alternate dimension. This resets their timeline somehow. And long story short, none of it works. It was all really, really bad. No one talks about it. Probably half the reason is that they're like, we want to undo the damage done by the speculator boom. So what if we bring in the same guys who caused that speculator boom to relaunch our universe? That's going to work, right? Rob. Cinema. Skippy, get in here. We need you. <laughs> and we need Skippy on Captain America yeah. right now. Yeah. Lexi, that picture of Rob Liefeld's barrel chested Captain America right around this time period. That onslaught stuff, that's what led to that. So, <laughs> you know, while history was being made over there, Kurt Busick was over here on the sidelines, like, no, let's just let's just tell some comics. <laughs> let's just it was a book that he said he didn't care if people, if it only got to 12 issues, if it only got to six issues, he was going to tell the story he wanted to tell and make it work. And he, it was a book that just kept going and going and going and it had legs. Like Dallas said, this ran with music for 33 issues. This ran with, um, I think it's Fabian Nesaza. I'm sure I'm saying that. I'm sure I'm saying his last name wrong, but it ran for another like 33 to 40 issues after that until, the weirdest relaunch of all time happens at the very end of the series where they like completely scrap the concept and are just like, Hey, what if this was fun? What was, what if this was fight club, but with superheroes and it has the dumbest covers ever. Like Lexi, if you can take a moment, I'm not sure if you're on Marvel unlimited or whatever, but if you could look up the covers for like the end of this Thunderbolt series, like Thunderbolts, like, I don't know. I, I unironically, it'd probably be like Thunderbolt 69. You're going to see like the most, bizarre covers you've ever seen in your entire life you go what the fuck happened to this book it was it's it's crazy it's 
it's one of those 90s gems that just did not lose anything over time. Ooh. It's yeah, you found them? Okay, good. Oh, good. I'm just no. I, I need to make sure that you saw that specifically. <laughs> oh no! They got worse. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, um this book was you know, it came to an ill-fated demise, but this this beginning chunk is just cemented as a perfect comic book and I can't wait to talk about it. It's there's so there's so much to get into. I want to start with you guys. Talk to me a little bit about the uh, the shining gems in the story, the the characters, these absolute nobodies. What makes them stand out to you? Who stood out to you the most? What made you like them? Anyone. First. Lexi first. Go Lexi. Oh, me first. I'm so spoiled. Uh, I texted Dallas earlier today and said, this comic is for girls. Girls have the most fun. We do the most wrongs and the most goods. And sometimes the lines are blurred, but we get there eventually. <laughs> um, but no, I was so surprised by this book. Um, I, like I said, had no idea what I was getting into. No thoughts going in. Um, I need that on a t-shirt at this point. No thoughts ever. About anything. Um, but it was honestly so fun. Like the concept of having villains pretend to be the good guys and then trick themselves into being the good guys is the best trope I think I've ever heard. Like, are you kidding me? Like they pretend so good that they're actually like, wait a minute, we could just have people like us. <laughs> like we can just actually have good lives. And is this what we want? Like, what are we doing? What are we doing? <laughs> um, and to see how, like, that affects their relationships within themselves and, like, their personal development and how that grows and pushes them all in different directions and bounces everybody all around it was so fun. And also, like, the thought, too, of, like, have it, having it be in this time period where – all of our well-known superheroes are gone, you know? Like, oh, no, who's left? Just Hawkeye with his stupid little arrows. <laughs> like, oh, no. <laughs> We're going to die. Everybody's going to die. <laughs> um, also, why can't they leave Franklin alone? <laughs> Sidetrack. <laughs> who, who signed off to let that poor little boy be in this book? He's kind of like the hacky sack of the Marvel he Universe. Is. You kind of kick him around every once in a while. You send him to you hell. <laughs> Busick kind of kicked him a little higher. I mean, um, Hickman kicked him a little higher, let him kind of peek at that arc, but then straight back down, <laughs> became yeah. demuted later. Um, fun <laughs> things. This this poor boy, just always losing boy. his powers, getting his powers back. Crazy. But no, it's just <laughs> so fun to see them develop relationships with people and try and figure that out while also still like wrestling with that inner turmoil of like well i'm actually kind of a villain but like i don't really want to be but i kind of do because i have like these loyalties um so it just was really fun and honestly unlike anything else i've ever read before which was really fun for me i love it i think this book really comes together when jolt joins the team mm -hmm. and I think her introduction is a great example where she's introduced just as like, there's this random character in issue one 
that then pops up again in like issue two, issue three, issue four. And then I think it's issue five that she like joins the team. And that's a great example of how this comic works, where it knows it's going to last long enough that it can take its time sewing things in. Like when Black Widow attacks the team and then lets them know that she knows they're villains, but she's Mm going to let them keep doing their thing because so was Hawkeye and so was the Scarlet Witch and so was Quicksilver. And then Alexis, spoiler for you, issue 21, like a full calendar year later, Hawkeye joins this team and is like, I'm here to help you guys be good because I believe in redemption. I was a villain once and now I'm awesome. And they're like, are you awesome? He said, yes, I am. I wear purple pants. <laughs> and it's foreshadowed like right at the beginning of the series that uh-huh. that's going to happen. And you just see Kurt Busiek making comics, man. Like, I don't know how to describe it other than that this is comics. This isn't trade paperbacks. This isn't like a runway for MCU stories. This is just fucking comics. These are people that grew up on Stan Lee's soap operas and were like, let's make our own. You know what? There was a time where no one knew who Spider-Man was and they just made up a character, gave him foibles and let it run. And people fell in love with it. Let's just make up characters, give them foibles, let them run and people will care about them. Like I gun to my head, couldn't have told you Atlas's name before reading this. And now I would die for that big stupid farm boy. And he's probably the dumbest one on the team. Definitely. The fact that Techno revived himself as a robot and kept the goatee. Funniest <laughs> shit in the world. Baron Zemo. The on the spaceship. <laughs> he put the goatee on the spaceship. It's a spaceship with a goatee. It's the greatest comic book ever made. Baron Zemo is on a spaceship with a goatee fighting people with a saber. There's straight up like a Count of Monte Cristo sword fight in issue 14 of this. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Everything about this comic rules. Citizen V, that is the most fantastic superhero name in the world. Show up with a, an American flag cape being like, hello, my name is Citizen V. And everyone's like, for sure. Thank you, Volkswagen. The V stands for Volkswagen, I swear. Not Zemo. <laughs> As someone who drives a Volkswagen, I feel attacked. <laughs> Hello, my name is Citizen Hasselheffer. <laughs> and we are here to protect you. <laughs> or even just I... like the fact that the news is like, how did we not notice that they accidentally called her Moonstone in the fight? And then I flip back to the issue that happened and I was like, how did I not notice they called her Moonstone in the fight? <laughs> I felt personally victimized by that one because the editors noticed, like, like everyone noticed. I'm like, I didn't notice. <laughs> Fuck, mm-hmm. I didn't notice. Go back. That, and I looked for it. I looked for it too because I knew it was going to happen. And I still missed it. Oh, so good. It's so, so good. Great power set for Songbird. Mm-hmm. Like, mwah. I don't know why I, she always, she's always Melissa in my head. Mm-hmm. Like all the other ones are kind of their superhero names. And then Melissa is just Melissa. Cause she's my girl. She got that stupid haircut, two tone hair. Oh, they really gave her the skunk. Poor girl. 
But Look, also, they gave her the skunk, but also the coolest costume. So, true. you know, they balance it out. Also, Mark Bagley was like, I'm going to make everyone so hot. It's not even objectification because everyone is this way. Mm-hmm. Cheesecake for all genders. You look at Moonstone like, I'm just standing here, just tits akimbo. And you're like, this is for women's rights. Mm-hmm. This isn't for the male gaze. This is for women's rights that she's doing this. She's got tits akimbo. Atlas had tits akimbo. Everyone's, everyone's Zemo has tits akimbo. Zemo has fur quaffed tits. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. And then Joel's got that. Him. Joel's him got a six foot him. long rat tail. It's crazy. <laughs> I hate love all these characters so goddamn much and just you keep talking about like the long form storytelling of this i can't wait until you get around to reading Busick's actual avengers run when it has the largest like difference between these amazing parallels for carol danvers between like issue like eight and 55 you don't get a payoff for carol danvers arc until the very end of his run and that is so goddamn amazing you you you're right you don't get this anymore and it's a shame but it's like why this is so so special i wish more comics came with this much love and energy and appreciation for every no name nobody in them it's like you'll read comics and you're like this is a team comic but if you're like you know it's like i'm reading an x-men book it's like i feel like there's a lot here for beasts to do but domino's just kind of you know she's just fumbling around she's doing something i don't know there is no one on this team who doesn't interest me in some way who on every read through, I don't find something new to like hook onto and latch onto. And the, the complex and intricate ways that they play with each other and the ways that that drama develops between not just them, but the people they're fighting, the people on the outside, them trying to keep their cover. And then the ways that those complexities multiply as soon as Jolt joins the team, which the smartest, smartest decision in the world is to just throw in a poor nobody onto this team. She had the worst luck ever. Where she's like, any other time you would have been on the Avengers, you would have been on like um you would have been on like Young Justice or whatever. <laughs> it's like what's what's the what's Nova's team called? What the champions. No, it's not champions. They they those dorks, Speedball, Nova, um Oh, the new warriors. Yes, those the the ones who nuked the school. There we yeah. go. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but nope, she gets stuck with <laughs> the literal scum of the earth being um in their cosplay. It's 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 awful, but in the best way possible. Um, I mean, there's even just like human characters as well, like Dallas Reardon, mm-hmm. the one I knew you'd name drop Dallas. Yeah, listen, I felt seen. Also, I was like go off red-haired queen and then she gets a payoff in like issue 18 or something where Mm -hmm. they come back around and she's like my life was ruined because i vouched for these guys i was like oh oh no that's brutal and it just kurt busick has got to be one of the most underrated comic book writers of all time like he just writes comics in such an incredible way like Alexis, this the writer of this created his whole own universe that is just homages of everybody. So he has his own version of Superman, his own version of the Fantastic Four, his own versions of Batman. It's called Astro City. It's so good. 
It's, it's so, a, so wonderful. And it's so easy to get into, too, because Astro City is just, like, a whole bunch of one-shots. Like, there's, ish, like, the longest story arcs you're going to find are, like, three or four issues. It's just, it's so, so cool. That first issue about his, his Superman um, oh. clone, Samaritan, is just, it makes me want to cry every time I read it. Because it's just, it's, it's intense, but in the best ways. Busick is, is very, very underrated. Especially he- for the work he did in the 90s. Oh, absolutely. He just understands the pathos of superheroes. He understands how to make you care. And he understands why we return to these comics. And it's so evident because like with the Thunderbolts, it's not face recognition with him. Like there are a lot of comic books that are just carried by a familiar face. But Kurt Busiek knows how to make you care because Mm -hmm. he cares. Because he loves these characters, because he imbues them with a soul that you care about mm-hmm. and you can root for. Yeah. Like this this is now one of my heart comics. I will love this forever because you had us read this. Massive fan. Smiling from ear to ear. I would go as... Kurt Busiek ruins characters. And I mean this in the best way. He takes a character to a point... He, he takes them to their peak as far as they'll go... And then whoever comes next, I don't care how good you are, you're going to stumble over your own feet. You're not going to make it. There is a reason why he pulled Carol Danvers out of obscurity in the 90s, made her someone huge, and then she faltered again for another entire decade after he let her go. There is a reason for that. He saw something in this character no one else did that no one else cared to for so long. And he saw that in all these characters. I love, like... If we can go into like favorite characters, I have so much to say about how absolutely incredible and scary and complicated Moonstone is as a character. Yes, yes, give us it all. Talk to me about our just queen. let it rip. <laughs> Moonstone is this character who first appeared back in the Incredible Hulk something something, where she does the most amazing thing I've ever seen. She goes toe to toe with the Hulk, but she beats him not by playing his game, but by playing hers. She fights the Hulk and she's, you know, strong enough to stand toe to toe with him, but she knows that that's not what's going to, that's not what's going to win the day. She needs to get out somehow. She needs to get out unscathed. And so to do that, she plays the role of the helpless damsel in distress. Like the Hulk is beating her. And then there's this moment where he breaks down a building and the public can see her and she turns back into a human form. So it looks like Hulk spent all that time beating up this um, innocent woman and then as soon as she can't see the as soon as they can't see her again, she starts beating the Hulk up and she switches simultaneously between telling between um like yelling over her shoulder, like, oh no, help me, help me, help someone. I'm there's an innocent woman in here. Oh no. And then she turns back around, and looks at the Hulk dead in the eyes, and it's like, Your dad doesn't love you, your mom hates you, you're ugly, you're fat, and you'll never have any friends. And then she turns around and starts screaming again because she's playing the crowd. That's what she does best. She is a hero, not a hero, she's a villain who is super strong, can face through walls, has energy bolts. She's Danny Phantom. Um Gaslight Gatekeep <laughs> girl, girl boss. boss. Exactly. Sounds like a seventeen year old girl. But her strongest power is her ability to absolutely absolutely read and play everyone like they're a fucking instrument. And there is not a single issue in this entire run where that is forgotten, where she isn't constantly trying to play someone. Even people like Jolt, who she has like this weird pseudo mother-daughter relationship with, even her, she's like, I will play on your emotions to get what I want out of you. And I will not hesitate. <clears throat> and that's, it's such... 
psychotic behavior, but in like the most interesting way. She is someone who legitimately terrifies me because I know that she would be able to beat anyone she goes against. She will, if you got, if you got mommy issues, she will pick on it. I love the way <clears throat> so much. Normally it's a trope that I absolutely fucking hate, but she uses, <laughs> she uses her sexy, like, feminine wiles to completely <laughs> get on her techno skin <clears throat> yes. because this stupid dumbass turned himself into the T-1000 and she's like so can't bone anymore huh and he's like that's not important she's like I, I think it is important and she was fighting up until that point but as soon as she realizes she hit a nerve she stops she goes completely completely like just casual she crosses her arms she just sits there looking at him like so you can't touch a woman anymore, huh? I bet I'm making you feel all kinds of ways. He's like, shut up, shut up, shut up. I'm a spaceship now. Everyone wants a spaceship. And then it's just, it's absolutely insane. Because she does it, she does it to everyone. And I think that takes create a lot of creativity, especially on the writer's part, to be able to understand the different ways that you can have her play different characters. Which is why when she's not written written by someone as smart as Kurt Busiek, she falls flat. Because you cannot just make her the two-dimensional supervillain. She has to be really, really cunning. She has to be... You have to write her at like a Riddler level. You have to be able to understand that this is someone who understands the characters better than you do. Because that's just her superpower. I absolutely agree. Also... Kurt Busiek knows how to write a strong female lead. Like, yeah. mm -hmm. all the girlies rule in this. Like, all the characters rule, but also, I mean, the 90s and even today aren't the greatest time for, like, if you're the female character on the superhero team, like, you're going to get pushed to the side. Mm -hmm. There's going to be one of you, and you're going to have, like, one badass moment, and that's all. And that is not what the Thunderbolts is. At all, I would Unless love if we storm. And then you get punched in the face, and then you're dead <laughs> at the very end. <laughs> she can't escape. She's the only one. <laughs> Woof. I would love to talk a little bit about just like the women on this team and yeah. mm -hmm. how we feel like it did. I know this is something that you're really passionate about, Anne. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'd love to hear Alexis's thoughts I... on the women of the Thunderbolts. <clears throat> I'd like to bounce off something you said where it's like a lot of times in superhero teams, you'll have the woman there and she will do one bad ass thing. And that's about it. Cause I think in the eyes of a lot of right, not just writers, but readers, if you have the woman do something badass, particularly something like violent or excessive, then you'll have, you'll have done your job. You'll have proven the woman's worth on the team. You have to play up to that, like kind of that patriarchal expectation of, you have to do something violent to be to be seen, to be approved of, to be useful. And I feel like a lot of times that's the quick, sh the, the cheat code to just not have to care about them as a character. You don't have to do anything complicated with the character. You can have Black Canary on a team. And as long as she does her Canary Cry once and like a big one page spread that looks really, really pre pretty because David Marquez does it. You'll be like, there we go. I did something with Black Canary. She was worth it. She's on the team. Everyone's going to love this. Twitter's going to go crazy job done no one can say that i do not respect women and that that's it that's that's the bottom line but this book realizes this book and kurt music as a writer realizes that that's bullshit <laughs> that's not what makes a character special 
it makes a character cool. It does not make a character special. It does not make a character real. It does not make a character human. All three of the women on this team have such opposing and varied and complex personalities that they cannot be replaced with each other. They play off of each other in incredibly different ways, and they all bring something unique to the individual personal relationships that they're in. Like, there's something unique between Songbird and Beetle, as well as Songbird and Zemo, and there's and that's a different relationship between her and Zemo than the one present between Zemo and um, Moonstone, which is like this very, very sinister rivalry where she is very much playing him as he thinks he's playing her. And I love that for most of this meteorite is portrayed as like the second in command, but she's the narration in a lot of these issues. She will take the command that Zemo does not get. Because I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but the narration in this book is either Moonstone or it's just a narrator. I don't think Zemo narrates think any right. of these issues. Yeah. yeah she, right. she, the, the moments where she's allowed to take that command, you understand like she is the true menace in this team. She's the one who will pull all these strings if she has to. She just doesn't because she feels like she doesn't need to at the moment. And that's terrifying to me. And then you have Joel who's just in here on her own struggling with so many different moral issues that the others are not because she's the only one here who's truly innocent and truly just wants to be good. And you have all these different influences on her that you don't get to see a lot in other teams and just She's also the youngest on the team, which is so, so heartbreaking at times because you're like, she doesn't deserve this, but she's she's here anyway. And she's so, I'm not sure if it's naivety or just hope, but she's determined to make this work and to see the best in these people, even if it's not necessarily there. And that's three very, very strong and interesting personalities. And in most team comics, you're lucky if you get one breakout personality. And that's 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 what this book really did that was special to me and that I've been thinking about a lot the last couple weeks. Absolutely. I just out the gate was so intrigued that there were so many women on this team, because exactly like we said, like there's hardly ever (laughs) there's hardly ever a fun, interesting female character in any of these super teams. So the fact that we got three who were all drastically different as well, because that's another thing. Like you could have two or you could have two of them. And I would never say three, probably, except for in this case. But um, two or three mediocrely pretty similar female characters on teams. Like they all have like their little boxes that they're in. And I feel like each one of these characters that we got was so different in the best way. Mm-hmm. They all had their different like internal agendas, their own personalities, their own like hopes and dreams, what they want from their lives. Like, and if I felt like it was all very fleshed out too. Like we could see how each of them was feeling throughout the entire 12 issues, which I thought was super fun. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, even really, like, obviously we got Zemo's sinister little sides, like his plot the whole time. And then we got Atlas's little romance for a second there. But I feel like the three girls had the most intriguing stories out of any of them. Like mm-hmm. their stuff going on was the story for me. Like that was what I was interested in. And so mm-hmm. the fact that we got so much of it was so refreshing and so fun for me to read through. Um, 
And yeah, I just I feel like you couldn't have put it better yourself. Like you you picked a good one. You picked a real good one. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And you know, it's not the end all be all metric, but this book is one of the first ones we've done in a while that does indeed pass the Bechtel test. So that's that's neat. Woo-hoo! Always, always fun to keep an eye out for that when it happens. What do you mean Watchmen didn't pass the Bechdel test? <laughs> it and it's whopping two female characters. Hmm. It's, it had more, but I don't know. I don't know. Black Sad definitely didn't. No, but I like Black Sad. I did blood. too. I'm did gonna. It's on my list. Women did not have enough. <laughs> not enough women there's um it's on my it's on my list of comics that i will need to obtain through shady means at some point but it's so nice i want to talk about mark bagley's art in this please do because mark bagley is like john ramita jr is a baddie that just can keep pumping out issues of comics like no matter what rain shine world calamities Mark Bagley's turning in his pencils every month. There, He will do an issue every month until you tell him to stop. This guy does not know how to take a day off. And that's crazy. I, w- I think Marvel should probably let him out of the basement that he's chained up in. But it's so nice to have this artistic consistency through this book. It's so nice to have specific looks for these characters, specific body languages, specific out of costume time which sounds like a crazy thing to crave but read a modern comic dear listener and let me know how often they're out of costume nowadays it's very rare and so again sorry to be the i did extra homework guy but issue zero of this they all go out to dinner together And they all just kind of vibe. And it is so refreshing to A, see them all in like normal ass clothes with their hair down, just chatting. And I was like, oh, yeah, these are human beings that I care about. And I just I really love Mark Bagley's pencils. I think he has beautiful character designs. I think that he sells action really well. The panels are really dynamic. I don't know. I would love to hear Alexis's thoughts and yours as well, Anne. Mm-hmm. Alexis, this is your first Mark Bagley comic. You made a comment about like how he draws Jolt specifically. Yeah. Do you have any other thoughts? I felt so smart when I texted that to you and then got verified that that was the best idea I've ever had in my entire life. Because I texted Dallas earlier and I was like, Jolt is so fun. Like I love her character design. I'm getting very much Spider-Man vibes from the way that her movements are depicted like just her on this on the pages across look very spider-man-y and dallas told me that the artist goes on to do spider-man which i thought was so fun and i was like well like very good at it <laughs> it's very very good um but no i love the art like i feel like this in my mind when i think of good 90s comics because there's 90s comics and then there's good 90s comics art (laughs) and this is like the good 90s arts 90s art 
because it's like the fun, bright, colorful, like they all have really fun, interesting outfits and they all are like very cohesive characters and there's always something really interesting going on on the page and also I just love when somebody's face just looks really good and really nice because <laughs> we get a lot of spooky scary faces these days <laughs> of like really awesome splash pages but then when you like get up close to them you're like oh maybe close your left eye and squint your right one like Oh no. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. And showing me a picture of the Hulk where yep. Yeah. He has He's doing exactly eyeball. what you said. Um left eye is closed, right eye is squinting. Closed, right eye squinting. Kind of grumpy looking. But like each character is distinct. And I, it's something that Dallas also has mentioned in past episodes. Like I know exactly what characters what on the page when I'm looking at it. Like they don't all look the same, which I love. And I think that's super fun. They all have their distinct look. They all have their distinct colors, their hair. It's all very them. So I love, I love that. This, I I don't know why it took me so long. When I first started reading this comic, I didn't look at the artist and I don't know why. I think I was just, I was in a bad habit of just going into books without looking at the creative team at all. And it took me about two issues before I'm like, this is the, this is ultimate Spider-Man guy. <laughs> this is, that's where I know him from. And I'm so glad you brought up Joel Legacy because it's the way that he draws action and movement is so iconic. It's almost as iconic as his faces, his faces and the movement in that order are how I recognize Mark Bagley's work. It's iconic and it's, some of the 90s work that definitely feels like 90s, like the proportions feel a bit 90s. Everyone's very slender. Everyone's very stylized. But it's a fun It's a fun way. There is definitely um, 90s artwork that goes too heavy into that <clears throat> like 90s camp territory. This is artwork that I still think feels and looks fine today. And that's, that's pretty cool. I'm, I definitely think I like his ultimate... It, it's hard because I think I like the... I actually... I'm going to completely restart what I was just saying because my brain just had like a reset. I had a realization mid-sentence. I like the way that Mark Bagley draws women here better than I like the way that he draws them in Ultimate Spider-Man. Expound. I don't know. I just had the thought. I just... I don't have the... I don't have the details to back it up yet. They're just so pretty. They're just so... <laughs> they're just so pretty. They're just so pretty, and they all have personalities. <laughs> Maybe it's because they're not teenagers, and I can't see their thongs. That Ooh, might be bit. it. Yeah. Listen, it was two thousand two. Okay. <laughs> complete side tangent. The return of the whale tail is crazy to me. It's true. As it's, someone who wait, grew up what? in the era of the whale tail, as a little kid, being like, "Mom, that lady's underpants are out." As a grown ass man in New York City, the amount of times I'm like, "Honey." That lady, her underpants, they're out. I was like, I've come full circle. We are, the whale tail is firmly back as fashion in New York City. And it is confusing to me. I was Both at a pizza joint. assume it ever went out of style in New York City? Okay. There's like, it's like in though. Like it's like hike it up like to your <laughs> waist, like your up navel. over your hips, kind of in now. And like it's like a neon color. It's like it's it's the statement piece. And I was like, I 
feels like I'm six years old again. <laughs> Just being like, oh, see, that was in Utah. That lady, her underpants is out. So for the rest of you out there in the world that will get this in two years, it's coming. It'll be like six for me. That's a threat. If I ever heard one. (laughs) Yeah. I just, I don't know. I love Mark Bagley. Mm -hmm. I, I'm glad you guys like it too. I love when Moonstone for the last issue is just like, gosh, this armor is just not sexy enough. I gotta switch to some spandex and a helmet. And she's just like, Zring! Anyway, and she's like, back oh, to the battle. Much better. <laughs> I was like, honestly, get it, girl. I'm like, thank you. We appreciate it. <laughs> what do we think of Baron Zemo and that final conflict where the Thunderbolts decide that they want to be heroes against Zemo? Um... <laughs> I have so many thoughts, but most of them are summed up by by meteorite at the end when she gets her one on one moment with him, where she just gets to beat him senseless while calling him the dumbest of dumbasses the entire time. When she's like, <clears throat> "You stupid idiot! We could have played them for years, but you wanted to rule the world. Do you know how hard that sounds? Who wants to rule the world? That's so much work." You Hitler Jr., you dumbass. And just, he's, I love the way that through most of this run, he's just like, I am in charge. And then he's like, wait, what are they doing? They're they're going out without me. And then he just follows them, like making grumbly noises under his breath the entire time. Like, freaking, they can just run out without me. Stupid Thunderbolts. Never wanted to make a stupid team. I, I love it when nothing goes the Nazis way. It's very cool. It's also just really fun to have like a bumbling, campy Nazi bad guy. Yeah. Why? Like, he feels like Skeletor. Like, I don't want to be good. I want to be evil. <laughs> and I just like, I, I needed that this week. I yeah. needed just like a villain. A no nuance, mustache twirling bad guy, no redeeming qualities. I loved it. I had so much fun again. And if you haven't read Captain America versus Citizen V annual by Bagley and Busiek, it's from this run. It's a little ways into the future. It's a standalone enough story. It's straight up like an Indiana Jones down in the jungle fighting Nazis kind of story where Captain America and Citizen V, who turns out to be a lady, go and kick the crap out of Zemo and Techno in a Mayan temple with the natives that at the beginning Zemo had enslaved them to help build a rocket and then Captain America Mm -hmm. liberates them and they all go kick the Nazis asses it's that was comics I read that this week and I was like this is comics ladies and gentlemen ladies and gentlemen boys and girls this is what we need put this in the hands of every American child let them know what we do to Nazis. We punch him in the throat. Hoorah, Captain America. It's Hell really, yeah. really great. Really worth your time. I'm going to check it out. Thank you for letting me know. Because if I, if you hadn't, I would have just gone straight past it. Because Marvel Unlimited is garbage in letting you know what you're missing out on. In terms of annuals. I have never a, happens. 
one more thought before we go to listener questions. So do you two have other places you want to take us before I say my last thing I have on my mind? I think I'm good. I think I said all my pieces. I think I'm good. I there's it's just it's a good book. I'm glad I'm so glad that you two liked it. Yeah. Great pick, Anne. Great pick. So I think my cat fell in my dishes in the background. I don't know if anyone else could hear that. <laughs> I, I heard definitely it. I, heard that. I was just gonna walk past it. I was just gonna <laughs> Um My last thought for this book would be I think it is incredibly powerful that at the heart of this story is the idea that people, when given the chance, want to be good. There are so few Mm -hmm. people in the world that want to be doing wrong. And those who are doing wrong are often doing it because of the situations they find themselves placed in. These villains, the masters of evil, when they are given positive reinforcement, when they are allowed to succeed in society, they choose to do what is right. And I think that that's true of real life people. I do not believe in incarceration. I do not believe in the prison industrial complex. And I think that this comic book, as silly as that sounds, is a really ringing endorsement of the idea that people should be given the opportunities and to be something better than what they have been. They should be given the resources. They should be given the care. They should be given the forgiveness necessary to be their best selves. I loved seeing these characters succeed. I love specifically in issue 11 when Songbird and Mach 1 realize that they want to keep being good guys. That they're like, oh, I, this is way better. Like This is way more fun being a superhero and doing what's right than it ever was being a villain. And I, I really do feel like most people, the vast majority of people are inherently good and want to be making good moral decisions so that was really fun to see i did want to voice that i'm really glad that that core message was present here mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i'm gonna 100 percent agree thank you for that okay and with that being said unless anyone has anything else we will go ahead and move on to our first thunderbolts question this one is from zach Dear Collective, just want to say conceptually, the original Thunderbolts is such a cool concept, and I like how just some of them actually wanted to be good when given the choice. Anyway, which villains would you want to see get redemption, and also which heroes would you want to see turn bad? Also, who would you put in a Thunderbolts team, either in-universe or from another publisher? Personally, I think the rogues would be prime candidates. Hmm... Interest. Hmm. Lexi, any villains oh. coming to mind that you'd like to see get a redemption arc? Well, the first villain that comes to mind that's my favorite villain of all time is Necra herself. But <laughs> if she ever became good, she would die because she gets her powers from being literally evil. So maybe not her. <laughs> Gotta get you cut up in some saber tooth though. Oh, true, 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 true. I don't know. I just, I just have this image of her like trying, and then just being like, no, and then like scurrying away. <laughs> just I mean, like, like Zemo. No. Her and Zemo can hold dance and skip into the, into who knows where, <laughs> together. 
having like an allergic reaction, you have to like pat pat her head, be like, "It's okay, you tried, you're good." It's like me when I go hiking, just breaks out in hives, <laughs> just for even going outside and trying. I was good once. It was awful. It was awful. Never <laughs> again. Got hives. It's like me in high school. <sighs> I here's a pitch, Marvel. If you're listening, hire me to write this. I think it'd be really fun if while Spider-Man is off doing like Spider-Verse shenanigans, the Sinister Six has to be like the good guys in New York for a while. Like they have to keep all the other Spider-Man BS in line. Like Dr. Octopus, because of his time as Superior Spider-Man is like, all right, we got to We got to Thunderbolt this up. Electro, you big giant moron. Come on. Rhino, come on. Like we gotta go be good guys for a while. I think those guys would be a really funny Thunderbolts team. Uh, this is a hard one, especially on the Marvel side, because I feel like all my favorite villains who I would want to see get redemption arcs are basically getting that with all the Krakoa stuff that's happening right now. Like I don't need my my Madeline Pryor redemption arc. She's doing she's doing bad girl shit and you know, loving it. So with Albert fucking with albert lexi i found out the craziest shit this week there is a guy who is a robot and he looks just like wolverine he looks like wolverine meets deathlock meets terminator and his name is fucking albert that it's just albert that that's it <laughs> hmm. and his better name his best friend is a walking bomb who looks like a little girl Love it. and i have talked so much about hating this man in the last week that I think I accidentally convinced myself into loving him. <laughs> and it's it's very sad coming from someone who is already in love with Maggot and Shark Girl. I don't need another one of these characters. <laughs> I don't need another garbage <laughs> X-Men to fall in love with. You don't need another underdog. I don't. I really don't. I, I don't know how I did this to myself. But anyway, there's only two good people in that book, by the way. It's Albert and Madeline. <laughs> Havoc and Gambit are both bullshit, and I'm going to stand on that hill. I like Havoc because he's a bossy bottom, but <laughs> listen, I if he was in that um Gambit. If he was in his like slutty Hellions outfit, then yeah, I could see it. But honestly, I'm not I'm not here for his his jump shoot, his like plug suit. I'm not here for it. Not happening. Listen, his little helmet with the handles for Maddie to like erect his <laughs> <laughs> wait no I'm okay i'm seeing it. the vision now i'm seeing the vision i get it okay Listen, fair enough she, she saw those and she's like you know what kind of torque you can get on this <laughs> just throwing that out there how how you get around your boyfriend having really short hair anyways um <sighs> x-men rogues rogues would be fun <laughs> No, I want my. No, what? Forget it. I want my um my Morlin. I want my Morlin to have a, a a hero arc because I think that'd be fucking hilarious. He's doing that right now in Dan. Are you Spider-Man shitting series. me? God serious. So much he, by ignoring that fucking bug boy. He is in. He has had to team up with all the Spider Verse people to fight Shathra. Remember her from the JMS yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Shathra showed up and was like, I'm actually more evil. And Morlin had to be like, I have to team up with the fucking spider people. God so, damn it. Don't Morlin, make me. A little bug man. There I'm is so Disney, emotionally fragile at the moment. You can't make me read a Spider-Man book. <laughs> there's a Disney princess spider person who sings all of her lines. Mm-hmm. 
and Moreland's on the team. There's a fashion designer spider person. What? It's it's a very fun book. First Albert, now this. And it's drawn by Mark Bagley. <clears throat> Gasp. This artist. Why are you talking me into liking things? I didn't ask to be here. I like my little ball of hatred I have developed. Thank you very much. We I'm going to throw it out there. Him. I'm going to throw it out there. It's not like the greatest thing of all time, but it's very fun. Look, if Moreland's, you know, chilling, this is like my fan fiction come to life. I just want them to be friends. Yeah, he ate Peter's eyeball. Who hasn't? Who hasn't? There's a universe where Silk is the main spider person because Peter Parker didn't get bit by the spider. Mm -hmm. And it's really fun. It's a really good issue. Damn. One of the best like Elseworld spider issues I've read in a long time. You know what? That that remind that'd be a good idea. You know what would be a really good idea? What if the Green Goblin turned good and he had to kind of mentor Peter Parker? You think anyone's ever done that? You think anyone's had that as an idea? Someone write that down. I don't want anyone copying that. It's Listen, mine. Purely I mine. Ha- I haven't been hating it, unlike <laughs> the rest of the internet. Do you think Mary Jane's gonna bite it? No. No. Honestly, look, I hate fridge shopping. I'm not for it. But if we get them to shut up on Twitter for like five minutes, honestly, Mary Mary Jane can get into the, like, I'll be like, I'll take you appliance shopping. Pick out your favorite one. At least, at least it'll be one you like. That That's the least nice I could one. do for you. I absolutely think that it's just baiting Mm-hmm. antagonistic fans i think that's oh yeah cool. i think it's just marketers they're like hey clicks is clicks baby i i i bet it's uh, just gonna be paul it's just gonna be paul who apparently exists i people keep talking like i think paul's gonna die i'm like who the fuck is paul i'm not reading this book he's no albert <laughs> he's no albert look star wars has glup shittos marvel has paul's and albert's <laughs> that's some some boy named phil over there. <laughs> you cannot convince... No, there's no boy named Phil. It's a real boy there, named Phil situation. There might be. Okay. I be- mm, Lexi, have we read anything with the rogues in it yet? I don't think so. Oh, I hate suggesting that we read something Jeff Johns, but I think you'd really like the, the rogues, especially the way he writes them. They're <laughs> like these guys, except they make no, no qualms about being the baddies. They're just like, hey, listen... We're here to get a job done in Flash. You know, if we got to kneecap you along the way, then so be it. But we're we're, we're, we're walking out of here with this lady's purse. <laughs> My spiciest take is that Mark Wade's Flash, it's got a couple good stories. But the, like, prestige by which it's held, I don't mm-hmm. see it. And I think it's because it has very forgettable villains. Which, circling back to Thunderbolts, I initially was like, man, none of the bad guys the Thunderbolts fight are even that memorable. But Kerbusic does this thing where they keep coming back. And so by the third time in this run, later on, Alexis, when the Masters of Evil under Red Cloak show up for like the fourth time, you're like, you sons of bitches. And he also <laughs> makes this decision to give Whirlwind the most Pepe Le Pew French accent you've ever read in a comic book. He's like, he literally says, Zutalor! When they punch him one time. And I was like, I love you, Kerbusic. You've never done a single thing wrong. 
He'll be like, the Thunderbolts, what are they doing? Ha ha ha. While they're fighting, it rules. There's there's some really fun moments of just excellent word choice in this. I think my favorite was when Hawkeye called Quicksilver Whitey. <laughs> Ooh, that was wonderful. That was a cool one. <laughs> what about when Jolt hit Quicksilver twice? Good for her. So cool. So good on her. Jolt, so underestimated. Please. I'm glad that she goes on to do great things after this run. Anyways. Also, um, also, this run was great because I got to see Mark Bagley draw like everybody that isn't a Spider-Man character. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. like once he started drawing Spider-Man Alexis, they truly did lock him in a basement. And they're like, you're drawing Spider-Man for the rest of your days. Like It's all you do. Tragedy. All you do is draw Spider-Man. Let all. the artist art. He has yeah, drawn like Ninja Turtles. Free him. We should all put free Mark Bagley as hashtags in our bios. <laughs> yes. Hashtag free Mark Bagley. Yes. Because like his Fantastic Four, awesome. His Captain America, super great. His Iron Man, I'm sorry. Iron Man's 90s costume is pretty ugly. But <laughs> I, other than that. I'm still at a point where it's like going back in older comics, because there was such a long period of time where Tony Stark actually had a secret identity. And it's always so funny to me being like, yo, Iron Man, you're really sm- you're almost like Tony Stark must have taught you a few things, right? You're so you're so smart. And he's like, yeah, Tony Stark definitely taught me things. Thumbs up. So funny. And- I also I want this Hawkeye back. I loved <laughs> the Hawk guy. Hawkeye as much as the next person. But let it go away. Let it die. Bring back this one that calls himself Brer Hawkeye and wears like purple crazy suit and is just a gigantic Mm -hmm. cocky asshole. Bring him back. I love him. This this run, I didn't get to talk about it earlier, but you talking about the villains and talking about how Hawkeye is in this series. It really feels great to me as a fan. I got in to the Avengers through Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes because waiting for the MCU to finally culminate in that first Avengers movie, that was like the main piece of Avengers media going around. It's just that that wonderful TV show. Um, and it also played on a lot of these smaller D and C list Marvel villains that this book does. Like Mandrill shows up there, Whirlwind shows up there, um, just everyone and anyone and i'm like these are the wackiest fucking characters i can imagine and i'm mandrill is the one that is consistently in my head because he's just gorilla grod but a mandrill and in the show he does like you see him for the first time and he doesn't say shit he just like crosses his arms and does like this back and forth head thing and then just attacks i'm like i guess that's like how he says hello or you're about to die but he's he just stuck with me i love Love those obscure characters because the Marvel Universe is so wacky and I like when it gets to be wacky and it doesn't forget that it has all that lore behind it. I feel like there haven't been that many like wacky Marvel villains coming out lately. I feel like they keep playing a lot of the the greatest hits, but I miss characters like Speed Demon and um, what's the what's the show? There's I there's so many I can't. There was the issue that happens later. It's like issue eighteen, where it's that big group of the Masters of Evil versus the Thunderbolts, and there's just so many nobodies there. I'm like, there's so much potential in this room. I want all of you to just explode and be here all the time. Such an interesting backlog of characters. Can I read the next listener question? Absolutely. Hello, collective. I hope I'm not too late to get this question in. You're not, Kurt. Thunderbolts. 
Both this first run and its later revival stand out to me as some of the best stories about humanizing and redeeming supervillains in both Marvel and DC history. That's no small accomplishment given the tonal balance these sorts of stories need to strike and how strong the opinions of readers can be about what can and can't be forgiven. I'm curious what your favorite stories of villains being redeemed are, or at least times you think the trope has been effectively pulled off. Thanks as always, Kurt. What are we thinking? Um, I don't know if I've read a ton of villain redemption other than this. Have we? I've got two. Please. What you got? Superior Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Alexis, do you know anything about Superior Spider-Man? Sure. Do, well, do I know anything? You. Yeah, oh, do you know no. anything? Mm-mm. Okay. No. I'm not going to say anything because I want us to read that book ah, on the show. Okay. I would like you to go in blind. It's really fun. And it's got a great villain to hero arc for one of its characters. Okay. Funsies. Second, the superior foes of Spider-Man. I'm just going to say that one. At that same time, they take all of Spider-Man's stupidest (sighs) villains. And they all team up because they're like, if we come together, maybe we can pull something off. But they get in their own damn way because they're all too busy trying to screw each other over. It's hilarious, super humanizing, super funny. One of Marvel's most underrated comics. Absolutely unbelievable that you got that one first. I think there's two big ones that I can think of right off the top of my head. And I can think of them because both the characters are on my comic wall of fame right in front of me. And I love the redemption arcs of both Emma Frost and Catwoman. I think they're both really really interesting complex and i like both the characters better where they are now you get you get these characters that are very iconic villains but the fans just love them so much they're like we can't we can't keep them there we have to we we can make them good guys right we can and they're both they both play out in really really interesting ways and i like seeing that i also think if that type of story is your thing definitely check out the double feature of irredeemable and incorruptible um, I don't think it's the best villain to hero story so much as it is the best hero to villain story, but that incorruptible side series does feature a lot of really interesting perspectives and a really great antithesis of what the main irredeemable series was doing at the time. It's still, it's still very, very fascinating. And I, I still cannot wait for us to get around to, to irredeemable. It is one of the scariest comics I've ever read in a lot of good ways. Every single issue ends with like a, I cannot believe that just fucking happened plot twist. And it's, it keeps you going for that entire run. You just don't want to put it down. Heck yeah. I like that. I can sense a farewell to arms to DC and Marvel for a while. I can always sense them when they're coming on the show. I think we're about to go into indie lands and I'm mm-hmm. excited about that. Ah. <sighs> I can't wait for these, you know, the two weeks that that's going to be true for. And then we're back in Hickman. But then after that, no, maybe, maybe May is Irredeemable Month. Maybe. Maybe give it one more. I think the, one of the next books I want to pick is definitely going to be something by Gail Simone, though. Because I think that's long overdue for this podcast. Hells yeah. Mm -hmm. But with that being said, that's, did we get everything covered? I think so. Yep. Do you feel good about it? It's your episode, lady. 
Yeah, I feel good about it. Also, I would have mentioned for the last question, Ocean Master had a really, really cool redemption arc. You know, I, I hate giving props to Jeff Johns these days, but he did great with that. Too bad they absolutely murdered it dead in its tracks because they're like, you know what? This character's getting too interesting. What if he went back to being two-dimensional again? And DC's like, that's a good idea, actually. I prefer that. And yeah, it's tragic. Tragic. Aqua fans. Aqua fans are sad. And I feel you. I hear you. I'm one of you. Well, it'll we'll we'll get him back someday. We'll get Daddy Ocean Master again. It, it makes look, don't it makes sense with the story. He he be, he wasn't the stepdad. He was the dad who stepped up. Outstanding. Mm-hmm. Outstanding. Do you ever think about how we caught you in a little silver lobster trap at the bottom of the ocean with Jeff John's Aquaman? Do you ever think about the day that you were like, yeah, I'll come on this little podcast to talk about Aquaman. That sounds fun. And now here you are two years later talking about Thunderbolts on a Monday evening. <laughs> about to read more big books. I'm looking at the books you have for the next two weeks. And this is going to be this is going to be something. I'm intrigued. Have you read either got... of the two books? I have not. It almost was a bigger something. Dallas almost coerced me into a 50 issuer. No, no. No, 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 no. That was you. No. <laughs> Alexis was like, I'm going to pick a 50 issue series. And I was like, uh, that's 50 and issues. You... And I was like, I we can like split it across our two weeks if you want. Like, I'm not reading 50 <laughs> issues in one week. And she was like, okay. And then I was like, okay. And then I went and looked it up. And the <laughs> internet the guy was. the who spoon fed it to me. No, 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 no. <laughs> listen. He goes, listen. hey, look, this book is really fun. It's like the King Julian. Oh, you want to sacrifice? Oh, no, no. I don't want to sacrifice. <laughs> no, here's what I do. I always send Alexis. She's like, what should I read for mine? And so I send her. I was I like, what do you want that. to read? And she's like, fantasy. And so then I start cooking. In my brain, I was like, oh, man, like I want to be helpful. So I send her like dozens of <laughs> fantasy comics to pick from and then she always finds this way to pick the one that i think she's not gonna pick like when she was like i want to read a superman story and i was like here's a justice league story she's like that one i was like what what (laughs) i mean sure but how she always picks whatever one i was like she's not gonna pick that one she's always like that one i was like that one almost wasn't included and so she picked a 50 issue series and i was like i i was worried about it for like 48 hours like i (laughs) I don't know, man. That is a lot. And then you just told me that the ending sucked, and so I changed my mind. Yeah, and then online people were saying the ending wasn't good, and so then I messaged her, and I was like, phew, (laughs) dodge that silver bullet. (laughs) But let's do our end credits. Let's do the end credits. (laughs) Ah, fine. If you twist me arm. All right, everybody. If you like our show and want to hear more from us throughout the week, please go follow our Twitter account, at CMX Collective or our TikTok account at the Comics Collective. Or you can find each of us at our personal Twitter accounts at Dallas underscore comics, at Ann Comics, and at Lexi Lou underscore comics. If you enjoyed the show and want to show your support, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and give us a five-star review. And if you leave us a written portion, we will read it off on the show. And finally, feel free to send us your emails, questions, and comments for the show at thecomicscollective at gmail.com. And we will see y'all next week for 7 to Eternity. That's what I picked with Dallas's help.
<laughs> um, um, um. This is who's a that by? Dal. Rick Remender and mm. Jerome Opeña, one of the best go, creative duos in comics. Ooh. I'm pretty excited. It'll be pretty fun. I'm excited too. This hmm. is a very frequently requested one by the fans of the Comics Collective. Really? So, yeah. Every time I was like, what do you want us to cover? This is one of the ones that gets mentioned oh, two, interesting. three, four oh. times. Oh. Well, well, that would have been fun to know because I, I would have picked it first. What, Anne? I, nothing. I didn't say anything. Hmm? I don't well, think I'm... Anne is excited for this one. <gasps> no, I'm, but... I'm, you know, trepidatious. Is that the word? Yeah. Why? I, I haven't read it. Why. I don't know. Rick Remender hasn't clicked with me a lot. I'm still trying to get through low. That's Rick Remender, right? That is Rick Remender. Okay. I like that one. It's pretty. <sighs> it's very well, pretty. Greg Totini is the best. But Jerome uh, Pena, also the best. So this is going to be dope. It's like a D&D session where they go and kill this big crazy emperor of the whole fantasy land that's evil, crazy magic system. It's like all the fantasy great. fun. Speaking of D&D, everybody go watch that movie. It was very fun. You like the movie? Yes, go give everyone's money to that, please. That movie was a 10 out of 10, baby. It was. Even our dad liked it. I had no idea. I had no idea there was an animated D and D show in like the eighties, and I had (gasps) no idea that when they're in that like maze, that other group was that same team from that animated show. What? That's fun. I like watching things where I don't get the Easter eggs all the time. It's it's Mm. more fun that way. I get Mm -hmm. to find later. Anyways, thank you all for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.